Good morning, everyone. Please join me in the preparatory prayer. Almighty God, you pour out the spirit of grace and supplication on all who desire it. Deliver us from cold hearts and wandering thoughts, that with steady minds and burning zeal we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. The peace of Christ be with you. As we begin our worship, our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day the Lord has made. Happy are those who walk in God's ways. Sisters and brothers, let us worship the Lord our God. Together, let us pray. God of mercy, you call us to make peace with one another, but we choose conflict in the world, in the church, in our homes, or settle for reconciliation that is not true or just. Forgive our warring ways, O Lord, and teach us your way of peace, that we may be signs of your reign of justice and love. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. Hear the good news. God says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. 
Therefore, in Christ, we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so let us live. As we come to the reading of God's word, let us pray. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them to the Lord our God. We pray, Lord, that you will open the door of our hearts to receive you within our hearts through the hearing of your word. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. The first lesson today comes to us from the Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. This psalm speaks to us of walking in the way of the Lord. Hear now the word of God. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous ordinances, I will observe your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus speaks to us on righteous living. Hear now the word of God. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First to be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual infidelity, 
causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair, white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Nothing more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to have some shared thoughts around the nature of the Bible. So what I'd like you to do is I want you to be a good Bible student with me today. Take a Bible from the pew, please. I would like you to turn, please, in your Bible to the Book of Wisdom, chapter 2. No, the Book of Wisdom. What's wrong? Okay, well, if if you can't find that one, turn with me to the book of Tobit, please. Tobit chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. What's... Well, my Bible has it. What am I doing? I'm playing with you? No, I'm giving you a history lesson. What am I reading from here? Huh? I'm reading from the Catholic Bible, the books that were accepted until the Reformation. Okay? That's a long time to be accepted as Scripture. Okay? But until the Reformation, this was what we said was the Word of God. And it included books like Tobit and Judith and the 151st Psalm, the book of Sirach, and the book of wisdom, all of those were scripture until the time of Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Ulrich Zwingli. Then what happened? The Reformation came along and it said, we're going to make a decision about what stuff is really reliable. Okay, now when you have your Bible and you open up your Bible, I'd like you to find the book of Hebrews, please. Can you find the book of Hebrews in your Bible? Well, Martin Luther and some of the other reformers did not like the book of Hebrews. There was no evidence that it was written by any of the apostles. They argued vehemently that Hebrews was not a biblical book, but it made it into the canon. The book of James... Martin Luther said, "Mm, mm, 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 not part of the New Testament. He called it the letter of straw. It was his judgment that James did not understand faith as justification by faith, and therefore it did not belong in the Bible. It ended up being there. What was the other book that almost didn't make it? Does anybody know? Aha, bingo. 
Revelations was so esoteric, who could get anything good out of it? And so it became another disputed book. Okay? I give you this little history lesson so that you begin to realize that the Bible is not like the Ten Commandments written on stone by the finger of God. That's a good beginning point for you to remember. The Bible, for us, in order for us to understand its role in our life as Christians, has to be seen or understood from three different perspectives. First, the Bible is historical. The process of canonizing the Bible that you have is a human historical process. It is, if you will, a foundation document for all that we believe. Everything that we believe comes out of that Bible. So, if I were to say to you, look in your Bible for the word Eucharist, would you find it? And yet we use it, don't we? I know. Find the doxology in your Bible. I mean, every upright Christian who knows anything about the faith knows the doxology. It's got to be in the Bible, right? It's not. You see, the Bible is a product of human authors, of human processes. It is a book that represents the witness of the church to God's deeds and promises to us. Who is the author of the Bible? Well, we would one hand say every book is written by someone. There is an author of every book. The books of Moses were probably written by Joshua, who was his personal scribe. Uh, Who wrote the Psalms? Some of them were written by David. Some of them were written by Asaph. Some of them were written by the sons of Asaph, sons of Korah. Uh, There are psalms that we don't have any idea who wrote them. Each of the books of the New Testament, some were questionably written by Paul, others are questionably written by Peter, others by Jude, others by John. All of those books come to us through a tradition, through a tradition that is part of who we are as Christians. The Bible becomes a source of our theologizing because it's a way for us to process the wisdom that God has given us about how we are to live. It says to us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the word is God-breathed. Now that is not a concept similar to the Muslim tradition of the Quran coming directly from Allah. That is not what that is arguing for. God breathed simply means that the Spirit of God divinely superintended every aspect of this process such that we can trust the Bible to be a true witness to the experience of God's people. Now, let's look at the text that we read today. 
because this is a new thing that you will be aware of, if not in the very near future, before too long. And that is that what has happened in the past 10 years with the Bible is that we have for years and years taught the Bible was written in what languages? The Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in... Okay. There are people who are turning that topsy-turvy right now because they're arguing that the entire Bible, as we know it, was first written in Aramaic. Because Aramaic was the language of the people. Even the New Testament books, where Aramaic is quoted. Remember the healing that Peter does? And there's a phrase in Aramaic, tali, tali, talamacha. There is the Old Testament portions of Daniel that are written completely in Aramaic. So the argument is that in the Bible, we have a representation of languages that in itself may not necessarily be the most reliable sources. For instance, in the text we read today in the New Testament, Jesus says, You have heard, you shall not murder, but I say to you, If you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, you fool is the word racha. Okay? Racha is not a Hebrew word. It's not a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word. Racha, because of the way it sounds, comes out of the tradition of When do you do that? Yeah. It's the verb to spit. There was nothing more humiliating in Aramaic Semitic culture than to spit on someone. It was what a father did to disown his son. It was the ultimate insult. It was to say that you were not worth anything. It is why it was so repulsive when they spit on Jesus on his way to the cross. We translate that, you fool, because we translate the Greek, not the Aramaic. Interestingly enough, we struggle as Christians to understand the role of the Bible because we have a tendency to treat the Bible as though it is something beyond and above us. When in fact, it is something very much part of who we are. The Bible is not only historical, it is metaphorical. And we live by metaphors. The Bible is not literal in the sense that Two plus two equals four. Or black and white equals gray. It is more than literal. How many of you have ever listened on the radio to uh, Lake Wobegon? Okay. Now, is Lake Wobegon true? Is it real? If you're from the Midwest you'd answer those questions differently. You know why? 
Because every Minnesotan Lutheran who hears that show will say to you, that's true. It's true, but it may not be real. It's metaphorical. It says something about reality, but it uses words that are descriptive. It uses pictures. It uses concepts. It uses idioms that are inherent to our language. The scriptures are really the word of God, but they are not literally the word of God. They are not a fact as 2 plus 2 equals 4. By the way, just think about this a minute. 2 plus 2 doesn't necessarily have to equal 4. 2 plus 2 could also be 22. And depending on what base you're counting in, 2 could be worth what? Depending on what base you're counting in. It could mean completely different. If you weren't counting on a a base of 10 but rather on the base of four or five, two would be a completely different value. Okay? Get my drift? It's true, but it's not necessarily a fact. And the Bible is not just inspiring. It is not just a book that gets us to feel good or gets us to think or gets us to react. It is more than inspiring. The Bible is designed to metaphorically reach us in our inner being so we will be transformed. That's the nature of the Bible. And that's what makes it different from any other book. If you read a book of sonnets by Shakespeare or poems by Helen Steiner Rice, you might be inspired, but not in the same way that the Bible functions. Why is that? Because the Bible is not only historical and metaphorical, it is also a sacrament. One of the big differences between us and Roman Catholic believers is after the Eucharist, after the Lord's Supper, in a Roman Catholic church, the elements are preserved. They are tabernacled. In other words, the elements are placed in a special little tabernacle or house and reserved there until the next mass is served. Why is that? Because an element once consecrated is in fact the very body of Christ. And so we have to protect it. We have to keep it. It cannot be eaten or used for any other purpose until it is once again served as the body of Christ. As reformed people, what do we do with the bread that's left over? We either throw it away, feed it to the birds, or gobble it up because it's really sweet and good. Why? Why do we do that? Huh? It's just bread. Okay? It's just bread. The Bible is, in that sense, the same thing. It is an outward sign of an inward reality. The Bible is an outward sign of an inward reality. It is the will of God to us in words that we can understand. It is a bridge between the way God sees the world and the way we see the world. The way God interprets reality and the way we interpret reality. And in that sense, it is and always will be the word of God to us. 
because it is the heart of our tradition. They are human words written by human authors, but they are used by the Spirit of God to transform us into the little words of God, the little Christs of God. You see, as that word comes into our hearts and lives and transforms us, it makes us an incarnation, if you will, of the divine word to our world. That's why people read the gospel by your life, by your speech, by your deeds. The Bible is the heart of our tradition. It is probably the most important piece of our tradition. It is the word of God for us. But it is not, by any stretch of the imagination, so divine, so holy, that it does not touch us as human beings and that it does not express things in human ways. We can't ever forget that because it means that when we come to the scriptures, we interpret them according to our times, according to our our lenses and according to the way the original hearers heard those words. And that is the work of interpretation. That's our work. That's the work of the church. And that is done not only through worship and prayer and study, but in service to God. Let's pray. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible that gives to us the testimony and witness to who you are, what you have done for us in Christ, and what you call us to be and to do in Christ. We rejoice today in this gift to us, given by your Spirit for our well-being. Thank you. Praise be to your name. Amen. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Please stand with me and join in the Confession of our faith using the brief statement of faith taken from the Heidelberg Catechism. Together, let us confess our faith, saying, In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor and release to the captives, teaching by word and deed and blessing the children, healing the sick and binding up the brokenhearted, eating with outcasts, forgiving sinners, and calling all to repent and believe the gospel.
All good gifts come from God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is the Spirit who enables us to give of our abundance to the work of God's kingdom in this place and at this time. So we go from here into a world that may never read a single word of the Bible, but will see and hear the word of God in you. And that being the case, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with all of us until Christ returns in glory and then forever and God's people said.